Good morning, Huntsville Christian Church. As Bobby said during the opening, we are starting a new series today on Joshua. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God, as it says in Psalm 68:35. Joshua, Joshua never thought of himself as a natural leader of the people. In fact, he had always been very aware of his own inadequacies and weaknesses. While the people of Israel were in Egyptian bondage, Joshua was content just to be Moses' helper. Moses was their esteemed spiritual leader and deliverer. But then Joshua remembered the day when Moses announced that he would no longer be able to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Moses summoned Joshua, laid his hand of blessing on Joshua's head, and proclaimed publicly that Joshua was to be the new leader. Thank you, Miss Lillian. So we are starting a new study on Joshua and his faith. And Ms. Lillian, I asked her, I said, hey, will you set up a few introductory points for us? And so, well done. Thank you very much for that. I'm going to start off right away in chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 7 here in just a second. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, because what we hear in this is God encouraging Joshua with these words. And here's what he says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. God repeats that statement a couple of times. That statement of be strong and courageous. He encourages Joshua with that. He says, he says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And he repeats that statement to Joshua. The Israelites even tell Joshua at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 1, they're telling Joshua that they will follow where he leads and they close out their conversation with Joshua as a nation by saying to him, only be strong and courageous. And so what we will learn in doing a study of Joshua and his faith is that courageous faith always involves a few things. I think I've narrowed it down to four. It always involves trust. It always involves risk. It always involves obedience. And it definitely involves commitment. We will look at several examples from Scripture of other people who also had courageous faith like Joshua. And my prayer is that as we continue through this series, you will read through the book of Joshua with us. I'm going to focus on about two chapters each week. Today is going to be chapters one and two. And so my prayer is that you will focus on that as well. You will read through the book of Joshua and you will see that courageous faith is attainable for all of us. Let's get started. Courageous faith involves trust. That's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Courageous faith involves trust. And that would be us trusting God to always do his part. I often say that if we do our part, God will do his part. And the reality is God will do his part even if we fail to do ours. All right, so, so God will do his part. And in chapter 2, 
of Joshua, Joshua sends two men secretly to check out the land, uh, to spy on it, if you will, to, to see the lay of the land, especially to see the fortified city of Jericho. He, the, while they're in the city, these spies, their presence is discovered. And so they hide out at the home of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, Rahab develops her own courageous faith from these visitors because she acknowledges in conversation with them who God is. She acknowledges how powerful he is. He, she actually says, we have heard about you. Our hearts have sunk because we heard that your God goes before you. Everyone in the city is terrified because of your God. And, and so she's, she claims that to know how powerful God is. And then she asks the spies, the Israelite spies, if her family and herself could be protected by them. If God would protect them when he hands the city over. And they said yes. And so she hides the spies on her roof. She hides them under some uh, wheat or some, some flax that she's, she's uh, drying out. And after the men of the city come looking for them, she sends them in the wrong direction. And she lowers the men out of the city through a window in her house, which was built into the wall of the city. And the spies told her, when we come into the land, tie this scarlet cord in the window and no harm will fall on you or your family as long as you all stay in the house. And she agreed and she saved the spies. And we learn later in the genealogy of Jesus in the first chapter of Matthew, when he shares uh, Christ's genealogy, we've learned that Rahab actually ends up being the mother of Boaz, who becomes the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, and is now, she's in the line in the genealogy of Jesus. And it all started with trust. It all started that Joshua trusted the Lord, and the spies trusted their leader, and then the spies trusted Rahab, Rahab trusted the information she had gotten about God to be true. And then she trusted what she had heard of God, of the God of Israel, because he alone had the power to save her family. Uh, because of this little speck of faith that Rahab had in trusting the spies and in trusting God, her family is spared. She is later mentioned, as I said, in, in Matthew, but also in Hebrews as being someone of great faith because she trusted that God would do his part. And he did. And with that, we see also on trust, Ezra chapter 7. We see that Ezra earned trust by doing the right thing, even at a young age. Ezra diligently studied and learned to become a scholar. He won the respect of many people, including the political leader of the land of his exile, King Artaxerxes. He established connections and influence over time. This was a necessary step in the dream of restoring Jerusalem if it were to be fulfilled. As a result of many years of consistently doing the right thing, the king, uh, Artaxerxes, trusted Ezra with great power, with many resources, and he acknowledges his character and his qualities in writing. You see this? Ezra did his part. He consistently did the right thing to honor God with how he lived his life. And the king, Artaxerxes, provided all that Ezra needed to get the job done. Ezra was able to lead many Israelites back to Jerusalem during this time of restoration. As a spiritual leader, Ezra had prepared. He studied. He connected with many ordinary Jews and his influence prompted many people to trust in God once again and to follow him to help uh, restore Jerusalem. Ezra didn't utilize his power and his intellect or his influence for his own personal gain. He used it to restore Jerusalem. Proverbs 28, verse 16 in the message says this, Among leaders who lack insight, abuse bounds. But for one who hates corruption, the future is bright. 
Now, I think about that verse and I look at our culture today. You see, passing the trust test is hard. People today are desperate for leaders, but we want to be influenced by someone that we can trust. A person of good character. I think it's time that we put all of our trust in God. That we step up to become the individual influence that we desire. You see, if you want to become someone who can positively influence other people, then you need to do a couple of things yourself. We need to model consistency of character. Solid trust can only develop when people can trust you all the time. Are you a man or a woman of your word? The Bible says for Christians, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Employ honest communication to be trustworthy. You have to be like a good musical composition. Your words and your music must match. We need to value transparency. If you're honest with people, admit your weaknesses. They appreciate your honesty and they're able to relate to you better. We also need to exemplify humility. People won't trust you if they see that you are driven by ego or jealousy or the belief that you're just better than they are. You also, as Christians especially, we need to demonstrate our support of others. Nothing develops or displays our character better than a desire to put others first. We are in a society where everyone thinks they have to be number one. And I'm here to tell you, it's okay to be second. Fulfill your promises. One of the fastest ways to break trust with others is in failing to fulfill your commitments. In that vein of transparency, I used to overcommit to things. I wanted to please everybody, so I would say yes to everything. And ultimately, I would always be late to something. Nowadays, I'm still late to some things, but it's not because I overcommitted. It's just because I don't pay attention to the clock. But the fact is, you need to, um, if you say yes, say yes. Sometimes you may have to say no to something good in order to stay, to be able to say yes to something that's better. And so fulfill your promises. Make sure that you fulfill your commitments, your commitments to your job. Make sure, parents, that you fulfill your commitments to your children. One of the biggest heartbreaking things as a child is for your, a parent to say, hey, I'm going to do this or I'm going to be there for that and then not show up. Fulfill those commitments, parents. If you're facing a God-sized challenge in your life, uh, like the, the impenetrable city of Jericho, hey, what's your Jericho? Think about that. What's, what's a God-sized challenge in your life? What is it that's happening in your life right now that only God can help see you through? Uh, trust God to do his part. But then you have to do your part. Sometimes it's hard to trust God. It's hard to wait on God. It's hard to be patient for God to deliver. But he will always do his part. So if you're facing a God-sized challenge, if there's a Jericho in your life, an impenetrable thing, trust that God's going to do his part. If we cultivate these characteristics that I've shared with you, they will give us the best opportunity for success and to be a good example of who Christ is in our lives. Trust is hard sometimes. But once we trust that God will always do his part, then we can step out in faith and we can take those God-sized risks for him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30 says this. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
I am more than eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Listen, some Christ followers don't like to take the obvious risk. They would rather lead or support from the shadows. Epaphrodites, he never became famous like David or Paul. He remained obscure, really, even though he played a vital role in the kingdom. Never underestimate the role that you're going to play in the kingdom. Never underestimate the ripple effect that's going to come from you trusting in God and taking risks for God. Epaphroditus was a nobody who became a somebody. And Paul wrote and described him in this way. He said he was a people lover as a minister. He said he loved his people. He was a risk taker. Paul calls him a fellow soldier who would step out and take risks. He was a tireless worker alongside Paul. He was a servant leader, a messenger. Listen, you don't have to be the person out in front. If you're not that person who's out in front, please don't be concerned that what you're doing is not just as important for the kingdom of God. Know that there's a, a place for all of us. And remember, each member of the body has a different function. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist, but we are all called to use our different gifts to introduce others to Jesus. If you want to enjoy an intimate relationship with God like David or Ezra or Moses or Joshua did, you have to practice what they practiced as you go to win and commit to grow. Here's some of the things that these men did. These are the examples that we can take into our daily lives today. Separate yourselves regularly. Take time out of your day and spend it with God. It, some people say, well, it has to be early in the morning. It has to be at whatever time you're most productive. If you like to sleep until the crack of noon, go ahead. But when you wake up, spend some time with God. Separate yourself from, from your family for a moment. It's not an excuse to stay away from family and friends, but, but you need to separate yourself to spend time regularly with God. Seek God with all your heart. Risk being watched and scrutinized. Let your children see you pray. Let them hear you pray. Parents, when you write out your tithe check, let your children see it. Let them know this is something we set aside for God. Learn to listen and hear and obey God's voice. I challenge you to enter a covenant partnership with God. Make that commitment with God that says, I will go where you go. I will follow where you lead. Because when you trust that God will always do his part, when you start to take risks for him, you are showing obedience to him. And obedience is what allows us to see the big picture. In Deuteronomy 28, the vision that Moses cast to this new generation of Israelites looked quite different from anything else that other leaders have communicated since then. He cast vision for what life would look like if they obeyed God fully. But Moses also cast vision for how life would turn out if they failed to obey God. Not many leaders do this. And from then on, the people could see clearly the blessing of obedience and the curses of disobedience. That's the power of vision from two angles. This kind of vision helps people sort out what they will do. Because when we can think with the end in mind, the end goal is to get to heaven and take as many people with us as we can. So how will you do that? How will you do that if you don't trust in God? How will you do that if you don't take risks for God? How will you do that if you're not obedient to God? 
So why should we be obedient? Well, we should be obedient and we should do it in, in keeping a higher standard than the rest of the world. We're not called to live like the world around us. We are called out. Christian means the called out ones. We are called out by God to live differently. We are called out by God to be like, to be a reflection of him. And when we, when we follow him in obedience, he makes us qualified to be that true reflection of his love, of his mercy and his grace. And so to guarantee God's blessing on our life, to receive God's reward for faithfulness, if you will, uh, what characterizes those who choose to pursue a life at God's higher standards? Here's some of the characterizations. Uh, we should adopt godly values. If your values are the world's values, you're focused on the wrong values. You cannot be obedient to God and obedient to the world at the same time. We must adopt godly values. The way that we care for the interest of others needs to be different. Again, like I said earlier, the world says, hey, I'm number one. Put yourself first. That's not what God says. Jesus said, I came to serve. Live with integrity. Again, the more we look at, at our political state, the more we look at, at the issues in our culture, in our government, in the people that are supposed to be protecting and leading us, we see issues with integrity. If you want that to change, there, there's an old model of ministry. When I was in youth ministry, we used to say, if you, if you take your junior hires and prepare them to be senior hires who are willing to be sold out for Jesus, by the time they get there, you've shifted a whole culture. And it's the same thing. If you want to see a community that lives with integrity, then start living with integrity yourself. Put that integrity, uh, that foundation of integrity into your children. And as they grow up, they will be the generation that has the integrity that we are lacking right now in our culture. Keep your word. That's how you build integrity. Show and teach your children to keep their word. Develop their gifts. Develop their potential. Never crush a kid's creativity. Manage your time and your money well. And pass on to others what you have received in blessings from God. To whom much is given, much is required. You may not think you have much, but according to statistics and numbers, if you live in America, you are uh, part of the uh, one-third of the wealthiest people on earth, regardless of what your income is or where you live. If you live in America, you are considered to be one-third of the wealthiest people on earth. Share that wealth. Even if it's knowledge, even if it's encouragement, even if it's a hug, do these things because you're committed to God and you're committed to His ways. And when we are committed to God, when we have that level of commitment, it helps us to see what we're really committed to. Maybe you're coming to a realization right now that you haven't been all that committed to God, that your commitment has been elsewhere. Think about that. What are you committed to? Are you committed to your job? Are you committed to your hobbies? Are you committed to your family? Are you committed to God? Are you committed to, to yourself to grow in His Word and in your relationship with Him? You see, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 warns us to be careful what we are committed to. I encourage you to read that this week. Be careful what we're committed to. It encourages us to be careful what we promise. Do you make promises to God? Scripture advises caution before we commit something to God. That's good advice for any decision that we, must, that we need to make. 
Solomon describes three major pitfalls lying in wait for careless leaders. I like to change that word leader and put in careless Christians. I think we should heed this advice for our own lives as well. He advises us against hasty speech. We must listen as much as we speak. And, and when we listen, don't listen to, to correct or don't listen so that you can respond, but listen so that you can hear what people are saying. Solomon talks about empty promises. He said, leaders tend to say what others want to hear. Don't promise what you can't deliver. Don't be that kind of person. He also warns us against lame excuses. He says that leaders diminish their influence when they try to reverse a mistake with a lame excuse. Christian, if you make a mistake, it goes back to the transparency that I talked about earlier in this message. If you make a mistake, admit it. Don't try to cover it with a lame excuse. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for accountability. Share the mistake. You see, that's why Joshua had courageous faith. That's why I think we should desire to have a courageous faith as well because there are a couple of things to remember when it comes to the courage and commitment that I've been talking about. First off, courage begins with an inward battle. As Lillian said, Joshua did not see himself as a courageous leader. He had an inward battle, but God showed him what he could do. Courage is not an absence of fear. It's doing what you're afraid to do. That's courage. Courage is making things right, not just smoothing them over or trying to cover them up. Martin Luther King Jr. said, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at a time of challenge and controversy. Folks, courage in a leader should inspire commitment from followers because courage is contagious. And I want to change that and say this. Courage in a Christian should inspire commitment from others because courage is contagious. Billy Graham once said, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. Courage inspires others to be courageous. Who will you be courageous for? Your life expands in proportion to your courage. Roman historian Tacitus says, the desire for safety stands against every great and noble enterprise, but courage opens doors, and that's one of its most wonderful benefits. So let's jump back to Joshua chapter 1. Stay the course. To be intentional means that working with purpose, that we make every action count. Successful leaders are intentional. They're transparent. They know what they're doing and why they're doing it. That was Joshua in a nutshell. To become more intentional, we need to do the following. To be a Christian leader like Joshua, we need to do these things. We need to have a purpose that's worth living for. Willis R. Whitney, the first director of General Electric's research laboratory, said this, Some men have thousands of reasons why they cannot do what they want to, when all they need is one reason why they can. Know your strengths and your weaknesses. Playing to your strengths rekindles your passions and renews your energy. Prioritize your responsibilities. Once you know the why of your life, it becomes much easier to figure out the what and the when. We are called to be a reflection of Christ, to be an example of his love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion. That's the why of our life. Now we get to figure out the what and the when. Commit yourself to a long-term achievement. Most victories in life are achieved through small incremental wins sustained over time. It's that ripple effect that I talk about. You may not see the difference in someone's life right away, but as, as you invest in someone, as you share with them, you will see in that long-term investment 
And in order to trust God, we need to be able to be willing to take a risk for God. We need to be obedient to God. We need to be committed to God. You got to be like Joshua. You got to have heart. Remember who you are precedes what you do and you are a child of God. As Paul spoke to the Ephesians, he described the ingredients of an effective uh, leader, an effective Christian, if you will. And we see these ingredients in Joshua as well as Paul. They made tough calls, but they also shed tears in front of their people. One thing is sure, it begins with heart. Joshua and Paul are examples of two men that had a heart that was consistent. They lived steadily while moving among the people. They were contrite. They acted humbly and willingly showed their weakness. They were courageous. They didn't shrink from doing the right thing. They were convictional. They communicated their convictions boldly. And they were committed. They were both willing to die for the Lord. So when it comes to having faith like Joshua, courageous faith doesn't mean perfection. Understand that. I shared with you about different people in the Bible because I wanted to encourage you all. We're not called to be perfect. We are, however, called to go to win and commit to grow. And as we study through Joshua, you will see the focal point of faith throughout this series. Not perfect faith, but courageous faith. Faith that continues to grow and change as Joshua leads the Israelite nation on this journey. You will see time and time again faith that trusts in God. You will see faith that is willing to take a risk. You will see faith that is obedient. And you will see faith that is full of commitment. And so as we come to our response time this morning, my question is, where's your faith? Is it shaky? Is your faith clouded with your current situation? Is, is that uh, Jericho-sized thing, that impenetrable thing in your life, clouding your faith or causing it to be on a, on a different foundation? Have you lost your courage? Have you forgotten your risk that zeal that you once had as a young Christian where you would, you would risk anything for Christ. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten whom you have believed in? Do you long for courageous faith like Joshua today? In a world where our culture is scared and confused, are you willing to step up and say, I will trust in God no matter what? Are you willing to take the risk for him? Are you willing to be obedient in his word and in his ways no matter what everyone else is doing? Are you ready to commit to him? As we come to our response time this morning, how will you respond to God's word? If you're ready to trust, if you're ready to risk, if you're ready to be obedient, then make a commitment to Christ. Share what that commitment is. Share in the comments if you're watching online. Uh, if you'd like to have a conversation about what we've talked about this morning, send us an email at office at hsbcc.org. Myself or one of the elders will get back with you. We'd love to have a conversation with you about your response. But whatever your response is, will you consider how you will respond to God this morning as we sing our response song?